So we've been talking about finding your space and your place in Zrizus and how prioritizing, making decisions influences the enthusiasm that we put into our day-to-day life. What I'd like to do now is deal with something which is more of a it's more of a global issue, but I think it, it's very much related to the kind of work we're doing right now. We're trying to work with a model, and the model is quite simple. The model is that deep beneath the encrustations of our negative traits, there exists a pure and pristine self. That we need to, in the course of our activities, reveal and bring into actualized form. And that's a process of growth, because growth is incremental and can take enormous amounts of time, whereas change could theoretically occur at an instant, because everything that needs to be there is, is, is presently there. It's just hidden. And, and that's, that's a very basic way that we work with ourselves. What I'd like to do is share with you something that I wrote about 15 years ago. And um, when I wrote it, as you'll see from the text, I was coming through, coming out of a very deep and black hole. And I think it's very relevant to understand the dynamic of who we are, who we were, and who we want to be and how that influences our growth because if you don't then you'll end up in the same kind of quagmire that I was and here we go I read someone that hasn't experienced the feeling of absolute alienation that a Balchava experiences cannot fully empathize with the intensity of the emotional pain of feeling completely estranged from anything familiar and perhaps mostly from oneself. The alienation was, in my own experience, intensified by the fact that the self I grew up as and what defined me in every facet of my life had now become forbidden territory. It's not that I no longer knew myself, it's that I had been denied access to me. Let me try to explain how, this process, how that process occurred. I became inspired. In that phase of inspiration, everything was magical, every dwarter was sweeter than honey, every Shabbos meal an explosion in harmony, and every davening a heartfelt connection to the Creator. All of a sudden, everything in life was absolutely clear, and all that wasn't Torah by default was wrong, empty, and meaningless. It was a stage of absolute black and white, all Torah and anything associated with Torah was snow white, every rabbi a saint, and every from child a cherub. Tur was the panacea that presented utopia here and now. At that point I leapt in. Everything else became secondary. My passion for Tur was all-consuming. All my spare time was spent devouring everything which could be described as Tur. I was amazed by how my friends were oblivious to the revelation of that which was so blindingly clear. I think it was then that I rejoiced in throwing out my old life. It was part of the evil empire empire that had stolen earthly paradise from me. With glee I rushed to throw everything which had made me, me, overboard. No need for that extra luggage. I was free to be a whole new person. The obvious next step was to travel to that idyllic place where the pious become saints, yeshiva. Off I rushed to the holy land to pursue my holy endeavor. 
I landed with a bit of a bang. Everything was so black, so intense. The first rays of reality started to pierce my fantasy world. The first subtle beginnings of the process of loss of self had begun. But quickly I managed to block out those initial interruptions in my dream. I settled down and thirstily drank in the many rabbis' vitriolic diatribes describing the blatant evils of the world out there and painting the perfect picture of the glorious us. I loved it more, screamed that insecure self. I ditched my life and threw away the old me. Yay! Cheered the rabbi, that dirty perverted excuse for existence. Good riddance. They encouraged my efforts, spurred me on. Throw out more, they said. Leave no trace of the evil empire within. Khalila, be pure. So I called in the internal removal crew and shipped out the rest of me, or so I thought. And now I could rejoice in the new me. I had the hat, my jacket was sable black, and my shirt a pure white fleece. I looked at the front people around me as paragons of humanity. No faults could there be within their shining lives. Yay! Really the rabbi's perfection and purity. And then I returned home after a year-long stint. My hat stayed glued to my head. I was astonished. My old world, my old world stood almost where I'd left it. I was convinced they too must have vanished like the rest of my life. That encounter left me slightly shaken. And deep, deep down, a small, almost inaudible voice called out to me. Are you there, Perry? Are you there? Silence, came the reprimand. Perry has gone. He was taken away by the removal van. You can call me Peretz. But the voice would not remain silent. In a quiet moment, he would call out, sometimes a soft scream, and other times I could barely even hear a voice. It was only a feeling. But then I returned to my sanctuary, and the rabbis chided the voice. Oh yes, it's called the Yetzirah. You have to fight him. Silence, I would now scream. In righteous indignation, you have no right to speak, pestering voice, you are but an illusion, and I will not hear your screams, neither listen to your call, I will be a tzaddik, and I will not fall prey to your cunning manipulations. I fought on, I would not budge nor acknowledge that a part of me that had been, that a part of me that had been decreed taboo. My path was that of perfection. I fought and fought and struggled and strove on until I had convinced myself that the voice is no longer. He had gone, I had crossed the bridge of change, the path of the pious lay before me. And all of this time from the sidelines, the rabbi, rabbis cheered at every victory they celebrated the devi- demise of the evil opponent. I thought I'd changed completely, but in truth, I'd become enveloped in a wispy cloud of change. And through it, I suddenly caught glimpse of a huge world. Between the gaps in the clouds, I saw that world, and within it I saw a person and a life, and it terrified me. Because the world was mine, the person me, and the life was also mine. The power of that realization shook me until I crumbled as a shattered vessel on holy ground upon which I stood. And all that was left of me was a person I'd fought to destroy, myself. I hadn't gone anywhere. And all those battles I thought I'd won, all those struggles in which I thought I'd triumphed were all illusionary. The old perhaps real me had not budged. He was still there unchanged and angry. Why do you leave me behind, he screamed. You never let me share in your journey. You kept me outside and silenced my cry to join in your quest. Well, now you will pay the price, because I'm the only life you have, the only personality. You can't leave me behind any more than you can your mouth or your ears. You can pretend I don't exist, but I will always be there. I sat there crying, but you're the Yetzirah, you're the evil one. You embody everything I've rejected. Why have you come to haunt me? No, screamed I, not evil, but you. If you want to bring me into the world of Torah, don't be afraid. I'm happy to come along, but please don't leave me outside. I realize that I will have to change. I'm willing to adapt. But please involve me. Don't ignore me. Don't discard me, because if you discard me, you'll be discarding yourself. So I tried to pick up those broken shards and slowly put together the pieces. Hashem sent me a teacher who gave me the confidence to build and the power to accept. 
I was deaf by now to the other rabbis, the other rabbis chanting, kill him, maim him, destroy him. I knew I had to build the vessel, I needed time, I needed patience, and I needed to share those years of change with the closest thing in the world to me, myself. So at first it was uncomfortable. The relationship was stiff and formal. I hardly trusted him and him me. But we made progress, and we talked, and he would ask me, why did you do this? I would shake my head and shrug and say, I don't know. Well, I want to know, and together we would search for answers, and when we found them together, we would rejoice. Our relationship blossomed, and I understood more and more. Terry began to touch me to the core, like it had never done before. And then I don't know exactly when it happened. It was a process, an imperceptible change, but I suddenly realized there were no longer two of us. I was me. I danced, and I rejoiced, I sang until my voice was hoarse, and my eyes were dry. My eyes were dry from tears of joy. And I hugged the Torah that was now part of me and I sang out to Hashem from the core of my being. I felt the blissful joy of experiencing reality and not the artificially produced from speak ersatz reality that had been sold to my naive soul. The struggles, of course, have not disappeared. Still I struggle, I fail, and I triumph. There's pain, sometimes intense, and joy. But the struggle is real and the person involved is me. There's no imposter stealing away the crown of living from my head. And sometimes it's much harder to fit the real me into terror, so it takes patience and cunning. But at the end of it, win or lose, I'm living my own life. And I cry for all those out there that are still playing a game of hide-and-seek with their real selves, too eager to shut them out and live out a scripted role for which they never auditioned and never got the part. And on Judgment Day, who will answer for the life they failed to live? So that was... So actually, the reason why I rediscovered this 15 years later is I, was, I gave a class on Friday to Nail Elif, Rabbi's training, and the topic of the class was stage two by Chuva. What happens when you succeed? <laughs> so I broke it to them. That's when, you, that's when the trouble really starts. Because the focus, obviously, of an outreach program is how do you get the guys in the door? How do you inspire them? How do you, how do you get them to make the commitment? And then eventually you succeed, and, and then you land up with this. <laughs> so I thought that would be a, a, a great introduction. What surprised me is what happened in the class is a lot of the guys, the rabbis in training responded, and they said, that's exactly how I felt. So then I thought, oh gosh, so this is obviously, obviously quite global. So I thought maybe it would be a good thing to explore with the likes of you especially in terms of the focus of our share which is change and change and change and it's very difficult because I think that things have changed in the last 15 years and people becoming firm has changed but there seem to be a lot of commonalities and a lot of the same dangers of loss of self still exist um, so I'll tell you what I wrote afterwards which uh, may be outdated let's see this personalized expression captures perhaps some of the challenges in meeting the people involved in Kirov and educating Baile Chuva. To express it rather bluntly, Baile Chuva often go crazy. That is, they lose their mental stability to a lesser or greater degree. Some don't make it and end up completely secular, and others go through the motions of life but seem to be drained of vitality and enthusiasm. The complexity of this change, change seems to be overlooked. The guidance and support it requires are often not provided by many Kirov infrastructures. A Balchiva special in Israel enters into a completely foreign environment. His foundation relationships are swept away from beneath him. Parents can no longer be trusted. Siblings don't understand him and friends are left behind. He stands alone in a strange world until the last thing he has, himself, is pulled away from him, as he's told, usually from a safe distance, the pulpit where he gazes up and the rabbi gazes down. You can't trust your own decisions as you don't know the trend. Your life you lived was valueless. 
Usually his initial enthusiasm or, lack, or his lack of vocabulary to describe the predicament of his situation camouflages the trauma that would normally be experienced in such a situation. An environment which glibly labels just everything about everything as Yetzirah worsens this. The trauma surfaces much later and can have tragic results. Husbands leave their wives and children as they feel they are living in illusion. Often years of yeshiva study disillusioned by their tshuva become completely secular and eat on Yom Kippur. And therefore I feel that we the teachers and guides of these people at such a critically sensitive period of their lives have an enormous responsibility to guarantee that the way we guide them and the demands we make on them will help and not hinder the integration into their life. I believe the most dangerous path is that of denial, subliminally suggesting that by the Shiva are the same as those from from birth, and only if you fit them into the regular Shiva schedule and system, everything will sort itself out. This evasion of their unique situation causes disaster <coughs> as there are huge issues that they are dealing with. And then I go through a list of these issues, like parents, self, siblings, friends, career, past, future, media, clothes, body, <laughs> pretty much everything that makes up life. The Baal can become an orphan and a gear overnight and then be looked upon as a second-class citizen by the film world because of his lack of polish and tone knowledge. If these issues are not considered and dealt with in a thoughtful and creative manner, I fear for the long-term future of the Baal movement which of course was before the Malcolm Baltimore movement kind of stopped. That was okay. <laughs> stopped. Uh, come to a bit of a slowdown, no? I don't know. I think so. Bukita, that's all the stuff, right? So you are, you are here in the seats of the, of the recipients and the participants in that process, and uh, now I'm standing and looking back even from this 15 years. This was the process that I went through, and then like one day I just sat down, and this just flowed, flowed from my head into my hand, and I just, just I just sat down, and this whole thing just, just popped out. It was like probably years and years of subtle realizations along the way, and uh, there we go, there we go. So now this is very pertinent for us. How do you manage to find yourself by coming from, and not lose yourself by becoming from? That is the question what is self to be <coughs> so the most simple version that we work with in terms of this model is the person that I knew before I became from defined by the things I did my friends my interests oh. my values well, well then obviously since the self is entirely based on externals then yeah, once but the I, externals change well, you lost your sense of self but that's not really you that's the, that's that's I, that's a dangerous path to trade. Because you're right, it's not really you. But on the other hand, it is really you. In other words, I'm given given a person growing up in a secular environment, people gravitate towards certain expressions of self, and every expression of self that was chosen is indicative of something beneath the surface. People don't do things randomly, and therefore, when you, the comfort you have of connecting to yourself is not some type of sophisticated, mystical, deeper purity of being. It's quite practically the person that you take him describing by his activities and social connections and values, that's who you are. Dean? Um, my thoughts on this are is that it definitely relates to what I was saying. I think it just completely depends on whether extent to which this new world which you're going into is different, is different and is, is 
how, how, to what extent is it different from your normal life? Obviously, to what extent are you connected to your old world, and to what extent would you establish that as yourself? So, if, for example, you really were into, let's say, cars, or if you really, really were into like girls, whatever it is, and that was what you base your whole reality on, and then you come into this world and it's completely opposite of that. Of course, it's going to be very, very difficult to change, and you're going to go through those emotions much more significantly than someone else would. It depends on to what extent you're connected to that and your attachment to that. Benjamin, you're saying that Tukhtura is out your mouth. Oh. He's been yummy. That's what I'm coming for. Right? Now, the one thing he says to that, you know, just, um, said about how everyone can relate to him as a commonality. It's made me think that, uh, maybe a bit of a sidetrack, but it gets to the stage where I think yeah, early stage, like first stage cure of it is very, um, take a very interesting year. It's a very rapid, but you know, once you get over that stage, over the inspiration phase, as you call it, and it feels that like you get stranded a bit because you're too far removed now from where you were, and other people who were, I guess, McCarthy or from community, you still feel quite far away from. It feels like you haven't been, you feel, then that's when you feel stranded. But really, I think uh, the solution is, like you said, actually, we do have a lot in common. I think living here, I've seen even like, um, I see them who don't speak English, I've seen things like, feel like I have a common with them. And I think that's what really brings you together. You just have to um, search for that and yeah, see what it is. Because uh, I, I think that's the point, really. People who you see as uh, from and flying, they, they all have problems just like we do. But they don't necessarily express it in the same way that we do. You don't see it. Really, we're all like fighting for the same things. We have the same wants and needs. But sometimes it can be hard to see that. I think that's very... That could be true, but I don't think that affects this. In other words, this... this I mean, you... All of you here are in the throes of the process. What happens is, I'm not talking about how you should be successful now and in the next two, three years. I'm talking about what happens is when you 15 years past the process and you know, you're married with children. And unfortunately, this is a, a very common occurrence, is that the Balchuva phases are inspiration disillusionment and reclaiming of identity or dismissal. So a person becomes inspired, they become from, and then they suddenly realize that they've lost everything that they were, and then they struggle for a new identity which is coming from a real place. But that actually, it kind of has a lot of different subtle manifestations. So the people who make it and the people who don't make it and I've seen a range of people and see the people that you can see just by looking at them that the entire self is, has, been, has been shrunk into a raisin-like kind of a remnant of who they were just by their body movements and their lack of motivation and the, that you can see it feels so dead that they're just going there you don't know for sure I'm making a judgment from, from without but it appears from an external perspective that they just going through emotions of life and that there's been no real sense of fulfillment and exploration and expression of self. And then you get other people who gradually just, you know, gravitate towards their previous lives, but now they're just wearing a kipper. And then like they go through the whole film process and like fifteen minutes fifteen years down the line, they're actually the exact same person they were before they became from. They just got like different hobbies. Not such an issue then. If I mean, if you're talking about someone who is completely happy with life and then became from, 
was very inspired and then 15 years down the line looked in the mirror and said oh my gosh what did I do what happened here I think that would be a rarity but if you're talking about someone who is pretty inspired like uninspired by secular life Gabriel just life a try got inspired in a short period of time and then it kind of fizzled when they when they left the inspirational environment they've kind of returned to where they were originally so it's not such a an issue of um, going through something that, that, that like changes and removes you from who you are. It's just that you weren't able to maintain. It depends how far you go with that. There's different extremes. There's different people do it in different ways and different people have got different emotional balance. But even the process you've described is really tragic. Yeah, so I think as a person who's able to con- continue... Uh, like finding joy and connection. And oh, so that, that, that's really good. So the question is, where do you find the joy and the connection? How do you avoid this process from becoming... Wh- I don't think it has to be that way. Go on, Yochanan. Just so I understand the sense, it's like... So I haven't really seen this. So I always hear like people talking about like Balchus, like they come, and they immediately go black and white, and they throw everything away, and... Tor- tor- but I haven't really had that experience with like other Balchus. So like... I guess that's kind of like, like whenever I hear people talk like the typical Balchuva syndrome, I don't see that really. I see people that like, okay, so they played sports. Now they still play sports, but it's just like, oh, this is awesome. Like the Rambam talks about, this is a huge mitzvah. You're supposed to take care of everybody. It's not like they're throwing things away. It's just now there's more meaning. I have more reason to do it. And it's like nice and it's positive. And there's like more behind it. Like people that are into music, like. Now music is like a very deep thing. It's like a spiritual thing. It's something that connects the physical to the spirit. Like, I, I haven't seen people throw things away. I've seen them like, kind of taking like, ah, this is now something more. So I don't, I don't understand the example that, like when you say throwing away the self, do you mean that people like come here and they throw away all those things? Or that they're old conceptions of those things? It's not. I think it's much more complex than you're making it. I, I'm not trying to make it simple. I just I'm trying to understand the example. I'm saying even if a person, even if a person did something mundane and trivial that he realizes mundane and trivial that he every Sunday, every Saturday he went and he watched a football match, right? And I realized that there was there was there was futile and indulgent and really has no and he realizes that. But at the end of the day, that's who, that's who made him who he was. And he wakes up on Saturday morning and he feels, why aren't I out there watching a football match? Okay. That's an example, but, but the, the point is that people are very different in the way they process things. And um, it could be the people that you've been exposed to, you know, have, have, have integrated what they had in their past lives into their present lives. Um, There's there's a tricky balance because on the one hand the person wants to change radically and completely and on the other hand you don't want to lose yourself in the process. It could be that when, again, I I became from at a very different stage in history. It was only, let's say, whatever, 20 years ago, 25 years ago when I started but it could be the stakes were way higher. People were trying to, the coming from was much, much more isolating 
when you came to Yeshiva, there was no, there was no, there was no Facebook, there was no cell phones. You'd speak to your parents once a week for three minutes on reverse charge call, and you get letters in the post. So coming to coming to Israel meant really you gave, giving up absolutely everything for the sake of you know now people people which is like a tragedy. The, the truth is this problem has become less intense because people don't actually ever make a transition. They just they kind of they 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 they're still very much connected to their old lives. They're still on Facebook. They're still keeping up with the social. So there's no real loss of self because they just maintain the old self and they just dress him up in film clothing. Okay, right. So it could be that what what I experienced was this this deep desire to really become great in Judaism, in Torah. It wasn't kind of like to to maintain everything. It was to transform, and then it becomes much more precarious. Whereas a person that just wants to kind of like do a few more things in his day because they're more meaningful for him and like not let go of everything that made him into he was initially so then it could be that's, that's, that's not nearly emotionally traumatic as could be, could be there's definitely, there's a, there's definitely a difference in the generation I, I mean this is, this, is, this is what I was describing was like a phenomenon which was widespread now Definitely, with even within the center, and that's why I've told you previously that my war cry used to be "Be real, be normal, be real, be normal," and that stopped being my war cry about five years ago, because six years ago, seven years ago. Because now the danger isn't that people are going to freak out; the danger is that no one really cares enough to invest in Torah. And you're talking about the people that are coming here to study, to learn. The people actually here aren't actually that serious. There's no one like I, there's no one like I see in danger of burnout because he's taking film crowd too seriously. Alavai, kind of like in in hindsight, it's almost like I'm thinking to myself, you know, people alavai, we should have such problems that you have to kind of. Like so so yes and no, you know, there's a bit of it, but so I I I don't know if that's maybe that's another problem. You know, was there was a time when being in yeshiva meant this was your entirety. You'd never go, you'd never, it wouldn't even occur to you in your wildest, wildest dreams to go and see a movie. It's like, it wouldn't be part of the picture. You're now in yeshiva, now what you do is you learn Torah all day and all night. Right, now what happens is you learn Torah and then you check your emails and then you see what's on the news and you watch an episode of Seinfeld and then you come back for afternoon Seder and you kind of get semi-pshatan and Gomorrah and then before night Seder you check up something or you play a video game and then you go to night Seder and after night Seder you watch a nice full feature movie to put you to sleep. Okay, so then like, the dangers of losing yourself are pretty slim. The dangers of never finding yourself are far greater. <laughs> hmm. Do you understand? So th- th- that's why our focus has been in another direction of like yeah. I feel it's been completely different. But I wanted to read this to you because I didn't want to go too far in the other direction to just lost itself just as a as a balance. As a balance. Do, do you think that maybe in today it's more of gonna be more of a generational fix that you have people coming into Yeshiva that aren't fully letting go of their of their old selves but they are to a point where they're they have now Torah values and so when they get married and have children that they could put their Torah values on their children while they're young enough that they can't get consumed by the things that we are today that make it hard to let go of self? No, because you can't give your children something you don't have. You, co- you can't be 50% and hope your children will be 100. Your children get what you get diluted. It's a big problem, it's a big problem. It's a big problem that, they, that, that the Baal Shiva world 
has has lost its sense. I don't know about the Baal Tshuva, let me not generalize. Over here, the sense of the primacy of Torah has been all but forgotten. No one really kind of has the value of what Torah learning is all about. It's kind of, it's, it's a nice thing to do, it has its advantages, but it's not. I'll give you an example. Mordechai Tzadik saved all of the Jewish people. Saved all of the Jewish people. Um, now, in order to do that, he had to take off time from his learning. He was in the Sanhedrin. He had to go out and discuss and be involved with King Achashverosh. It was, it was a lengthy process. He couldn't do it in his, in his Bena story and break. So, after saving the entire Jewish people and being a key protagonist in the miracle of Purim, and without him, we would not be here today goes back to the Sanhedrin. Now in my mind, they should kind of give him a promotion. So they demote him. They demote him. Because they say, listen, you know, end of the day, you did great stuff, but you weren't learning. You could be spending your time doing better things. Not saying they shouldn't have done it. Not saying they shouldn't have done it. But in a system of what the ultimate value is, the ultimate value is within the Jewish realm, the study of Torah. Now why that is, and how that works, and what that does to people, but on a basic level, the reason why the Jewish people has managed to survive is because there's that degree of devotion. The second the, the, the extremity of devotion to the study of Torah dissipates, within years, the first signs of decay are seen in the community it takes a couple of generations before it becomes fully implemented and then they're gone they're gone the only thing that maintains the continued existence of Jewish people is an absolute extreme extremely almost fanatic obsession with the study of Torah it's the only thing that makes it go on the minute that's, and that's why I'm saying when the, when the, when the Gemara and the Allah are presented, it's an extreme. It's extreme. Mordechai is an extreme. You're sitting here and you're sitting trying to understand Pshat and the Toysos in Gittin. There's a call for help from outside. Someone's life is being threatened and you can save their life. They're having a heart attack and you know CPR. But there's someone else that can do the job. The person will be saved. You can't let the person die. If there's, a, if there's a, even a small doubt you can save the life, you get up and you run as fast as you can but this time you know there's someone that can take care of it the question only is, should you take the mitzvah or should you leave it to them which is more precious so it's way more precious to sit and learn the toysis so I'm saying so, so that's something which is gone well that, that sounds contradictory though to the story you were telling us a few weeks ago about the girl that was brutally raped and murdered in the courtyard that they thought everyone thought that somebody else would take care of it, somebody else would call the police. I don't think he told that story, but somebody told him. No, is that not you? That's you said? can't listen, but you can't <laughs> try and make these like horrible things and blame them on me. But <laughs> I thought we weren't going to talk about the rally. <laughs> I was talking about myself. You wrote this at the same time the last rally happened. <laughs> then anyway, uh, yeah. <laughs> Just back to my little about why should you like give up your friends and your family? Well, that's the point. You know, is that like, 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 so we've had all these friends all this period of time. Why, no, you shouldn't. You shouldn't give up anything. I'm not saying you should give up anything. What I'm trying to say is as follows: that in in my time, the 
transition was a much starker one. The, 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 the becoming, becoming, becoming a Ben Torah was a much more um, pronounced decision. It wasn't just, I say the same as I was before, and just do some more things. Shift my focus from golf to show. It was an internal transformation. That every single value I had was transformed. So it's not that I couldn't keep the same friends. But if I go out with my friends on a Saturday night and we sit around schmoozing and drinking beer, and I could be learning, so I look upon that as an absolute antithesis to my being. So it's not that I'm leaving my friends behind, but they just no longer have their common goal because my aspirations are so elevated that they just... So I'm saying when I speak those words, you think I'm a Meshuggah now. No, but I hear where you're coming from. Have you thought I was a Meshuggah before? It's a very delicate balance. But what I feel is, what I feel is that the balance, the balance in is is it's very complicated because I think today's biochivers have a bit of both. They have a loss of identity and they don't, and they have a loss of identity, but they don't really have a transformation. But maybe also we're very new to it because we're new biochivers. Yeah, but I'm not talking about what happened to me. I'm talking about what's happened in the center. What's happening in the center is that the, the devotion and the consistency of people just being here and being interested in what they're learning and the consistency of how they respond has declined immeasurably. Mm. Yeah, because previously you couldn't go and watch a movie after night Seder. So there's nothing, there's nothing pulling you back to your room. So you sat and you learned. So your whole, your whole life was a very different life. You're very, very, you're very involved in Vatican as well, and you're very disconnected from the world outside. So on the one hand, this has an advantage that this kind of danger that perhaps I and others fell into doesn't exist in the same way. I think it exists in a different way, but not in the same way. On the other hand, another danger of just not actually making it in the real sense of the word is really present. What is the risk we have for six months, a year, two years, Okay, James.